Good evening and welcome to the Sherdog Radio Network preview for UFC on ESPN 25, also known as UFC Vegas 29. I'm your host, Ben Duffy of Sherdog.com. With me as usual is Keith Schillen. Keith is the executive producer of the Loudmouth MMA Podcast Network, as well as the Sherdog Radio Network, where he is the producer and creator of several shows, including, of course, the Schillen and Duffy Show, which comes to you in the form of a preview, as well as a recap. Keith, how are you doing this evening? Dude, I'm doing great, man. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Uh, we've got, a, you know, we're, the UFC is back in Vegas for what looks like probably the rest of the year. Dana White already said that the rest of the pay-per-views for the year, will they'll all be in Vegas. So it's probable that all their rest of their pay-per-views will be at the T-Mobile Center and they'll be at the Apex for all the rest of their uh fight night events which that's going to be uh quite quite a run you know we were just coming off of ufc 263 which if it felt like the longest event in ufc history that is because it is officially the longest event in ufc history uh it set the record for most decisions at a ufc event and it is literally the longest ufc event ever in terms of total cage time so it, it wasn't just you going man has this card <laughs> Felt like it's been going for three days. Yeah, uh, this will be a break from that. This is a lean, mean twelve fight card. Uh, we had thirteen, but we lost Tim Means versus Danny Roberts uh, a day ago. It was uh, Danny Roberts who was pulled due to COVID protocols. They did not put in a another opponent for Means, so we're down to twelve. I'm sad to see that fight go. I imagine you are as well. Yeah, I'm sad. Tim Means is always ex exciting. I mean, he's not a great guy. Uh, I mean, he obviously he's a great guy. I mean, he's not a great fighter. He's never, he's never, you know, going to fight for a UFC title. Same with Danny Roberts. But you know, generally speaking, if Tim Means in a fight, you know, it's going to be entertaining. It's going to be violent. He's going to be trying to get the clinch and throwing those elbows. And and he's just a fun guy. And and honestly, I'm I'm always sad when we when we miss any fight. Like you know, for this, as much as I complain, like oh man, this is a long card. Like I still love it. Like I'm still going to watch every fight. So, yeah, I'm a little disappointed. Uh, same here. Uh, unless you've got anything else, I'll dive straight into the prelims here. All right, and, let's do it. Yeah, speaking of, I like this first fight. Uh, we're starting off in the women's flyweight division. It is Casey O'Neill versus Laura Procopio. O'Neill, the 23-year-old Australian, is 6-0 overall. She is 1-0 in the UFC. She made a successful debut in February at UFC Fight Night Blades versus Lewis, knocking out uh, Shayna Dobson in the second round. She'll be taking on Procopio. The 25-year-old Brazilian is 7-1 overall. She's 1-1 in the UFC, but it should be noted that that one loss was in her UFC debut, which was both on short notice and at Bantamweight. So she's 1-0 at flyweight. Uh, odds in this one do favor Procopio. She is minus 150. You can get O'Neal at around plus 125 or plus 130. I'll tell you right off the bat why I like this fight. Uh, O'Neal is 23. Procopio is 25. Neither of these women is even close to a finished product yet. I mean, one of them has six fights. One of them has eight fights. They both have strengths, but they both have flaws that need to be shored up. But just the fact of that age. The UFC women's flyweight division. Valentina Shevchenko is, she's 32, and I think the entire rest of the top 10 is older than she is. It's it's kind of, in a sneaky way, becoming a division in need of fresh faces. Like, obviously, it's in need of fresh challengers. 
any woman who drops in there and wins three fights in a row is probably going to get matched up with Valentina Shevchenko. But we just talk, finished talking about Lauren Murphy. She's 37. She just beat, I think, 33 or 34-year-old Joanne Calderwood. I mean, Roxanne Modafferi is still floating around the top 10. But even the ones we think of as kind of young, like Jennifer Maya, they're at least 32 or older. So the fact that we have two women in their early 20s who are promising flyweights, uh, that says good things to me. Like, both these women, regardless of the outcome of this fight, probably have a bit of a future. Having said that, I'm just going to throw it to you. Who do you think wins? Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll wait for you to give your prediction. I actually, it's funny what you said. I 100% agree. That's the first thing that jumped out to me in this fight is, is how young they are. Uh, I'll, I'll start with uh, Procopio, seeing a little bit more of her. She's she's not a great athlete, but she's pretty well-rounded, though, despite that those limited athleticism. Uh, she's a little slow, uh, a little flat-footed, but she makes up for it for just being a high-output striker. Like I constantly say that. Like when you're a, you're a fighter who has limited skill sets, then just be so super busy because that can mentally break people. Um, no, no power, no big power. I should say. You know, she mostly throws some arm punches, but she does work behind a jab. Uh, I, I like that her box is pretty tight. Like she keeps her hands close to her face. One, two down the middle. Calf kicks. Not much head movement. That's the thing that she really needs to work on is avoiding punches. Uh, is a Brazilian just do black belt, but she kind of struggles to get the fight to the ground. Like I wouldn't call her much of a wrestler. When she does go for a takedown, uh, she just will like bend over and just reach, kind of like a, tries to snatch singles. And when she gets in there, she doesn't really drive through the hips to get you down. Now move over to O'Neal, also 23. Uh, I know she spent some time training with Tiger Muay Thai. I think she's out at Extreme Couture now for this camp. So right away, I love that she left Scotland. You know, not really a hotbed for MMA. You know, so go out, train, and, you know, clean up your striking with Tiger Muay Thai. Jump with Extreme Couture, who just seems like everybody. I mean, the main event, Dan Higay's, you know, from Extreme Couture. And, and you see it in her, in her style. Uh, she's got a Muay Thai style, also high volume. Uh, fast hands. I'd say she's pretty accurate. She she does have a Muay Thai defense though, where she keeps her chin very high in the air, which I don't like. That uh, I like that she likes to wrestle though. She's not one one dimensional. We saw it against Shannon Dobson. Looks to get the fight to the ground. I would say her takedowns are ugly. Very similar to Procopio, like reaching, overextended. But if she gets to the ground, what I've seen and 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 mind you, some of this. Going back to you know Shane Dobson, who's not known for a ground game, but solid grappling, good ground and control. Um, I like that she finished Shane Dobson in her debut, um, and and she is she is a submission threat. She got one as a pro, she got two as an amateur, uh, so you like that. This is a really tough fight as I, as both fighters are young, as you mentioned. I kind of like both of them. Procopio has faced the better competition, uh, however. Paul Craig won last weekend, and last weekend I picked against Paul Craig, and we got and we both did, and we got harassed uh, <laughs> on our recap show. And I I, I should have wrote this guy's name. I apologize. Hopefully he's listening. Those Scottish fans, man, they they're, they're passionate about their people. I'm not gonna make the same mistake two weeks in a row. So you know, Viva Scotland, uh, go Scotland, Scotland. I mean, I don't know what they say. I don't know what the saying is. Of the Scottish people, but well, I mean, she is Scottish by way of Australia. Her family moved to Australia fa fairly uh, early, but uh, 
Yeah, I mean, she is of Scottish descent. I think even she herself was born there. So, yeah. I, well, I know that they had a Scottish flag next to her. So that's what I was going off of. I okay, going yeah. Off her. So either way, I mean, this is what I'll say. If she's, if she's repping Scotland, I'm going to go with her. If she's not, and she's not, if she's not respecting our people... <laughs> She's not respecting our people, <laughs> as as we're we're now the adopted uh, the, the adopted duo of Scotland. Then 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 let's go Procopio. But uh, I I don't I don't want to go against the Scottish people two weeks in a row. Uh, so stand up Scotland. I'll take I'll take O'Neill in a slight upset. Awesome. I'm just glad there are no Alaskan fighters on this card. So uh, you know Anchorage BJJ doesn't come after me again. I I like uh, a, a lot of what you laid out here. Uh, I think. Like I said off the top, I think both of these women have a future in this division. I mean, it's still the kind of division where both of them could be in the top 10 a year from now just based on winning two or three more fights. I think Procopio is probably closer to her ceiling right now. She has more fights under her belt already. Like you said, she has fought better competition. And like you said, she, she's a little less of a standout athlete than O'Neill is. Uh, I liked what I saw from Procopio in the Molly McCann fight. Because she's, I mean, you were talking about somebody who makes up for being well-rounded but not outstanding in any one regard and not being a super athlete just by being kind of busy and hard-nosed and tough. That's Molly McCann, and Procopio already has shown herself to be an improved version of that by kind of handling McCann. And I think that's the kind of thing that could bring her to victory here against O'Neal, despite, I think, O'Neal probably having a little higher ceiling. With O'Neal... She popped up on my radar fairly early just because uh, Sherdog's Australian correspondent, Jacob Debitz, featured her in one of his prospect watch columns. And I remember not not writing her off, but kind of going, okay, she's 4-0 in a promotion like run by her family. I, I know how this probably happened, but it's not the case. They did not puff up her record. They matched her really smart against people that develop, that uh, developed her game. Uh, and she has, you know, kind of been moving past the Muay Thai thing into become becoming a, a more well-rounded fighter. I just think uh, Procopio is probably just going to do scrappy things to her and win two rounds out of three. Like, I, I think she'll probably crowd her, probably try to take her down. I, I You know, O'Neal is a willing wrestler, but, you know, uh, Procopio is a more willing wrestler. Like, she, like I, I think she's going to probably... Uh, kind of sell out to bring this fight to the ground. And I think it's going to work. Uh, Give me Procopio in the not slight upset uh, by decision. Next up at UFC Vegas 29, it is a pair of lightweights welcoming each other back to the UFC after some pretty lengthy layoffs in the form of Joaquim Silva and Rick Glenn. Silva, the 32-year-old Brazilian, is 11-2 overall, He's 4-2 in the UFC, but he has not fought since August of 2019 when he got knocked out early in the second round by Nazrat Hakparast. Uh, he'll be taking on Glenn, the man who goes by the gladiator, 32-year-old man from Iowa, is 21-6-1 overall. He is an even 3-3 three three in the UFC, and he has not fought since November of 2018 uh, where he lost a unanimous decision to Kevin Aguilar at the uh, Tough 28 finale. Odds on this one slightly favor Silva. He is minus 125. You can get Glenn at even money, or it looks like even at plus 105 right now. Uh, who do you got in this one, Keith? Dude, I have no idea. 
<laughs> this this is a th- really tough one. I mean, it's two fights right out the gate that it's it's really hard picking a winner. I mean, this one just comes from both guys being so inactive. It's been two and a half years since Rick Rick, or I guess I guess he wants to go by Ricky Glenn now. I saw that in an interview with James Lynch. He he likes to be called Ricky Glenn. Um, that's his dude. I don't know. Uh, he, I know. So he hasn't fought in two and a half years. I know he got COVID. He had a hip surgery in between there. It's been a long time. Who knows what he's going to look like? Uh, when we have seen him, he's been a, I'd say a fairly well-rounded guy. A guy who can fight on the feet and on the ground. Uh, he, but he's been very inconsistent. I mean, he's three and three in the UFC. Featherweight now moving up to lightweight, which I think he loses one of his biggest advantages because one of his biggest advantages at featherweight was being a big guy. Now I know he moved up because he missed weight last time out, which makes sense. Uh, I know he also left Team Alpha Male and he's training basically in his just homegrown gym in the middle of nowhere, Iowa, which I don't like that. Uh, what else about him? Southpaw. He has a very really unorthodox herky jerky style. Uh, good output though. Good output. Uses feints well. He loves, you know, being from the southpaw stance. He loves throwing that um, body kick to, you know, the the orthodox fighter from the southpaw stance. Uh, I was surprised how easily he was taken down by Dennis Bermudez in in their fight. And um, oh, before I move on, side note: I thought Dennis Bermudez won that fight. Back back to my point about Rick Glenn. Uh, and, but when he did get taken down, he worked on the ground. He, he was landing elbows. He was doing his best bass rooting against Kevin Randleman, you know, uh, slapping the ears. Mova Silva, also a guy who's been out for two years, on the feet, tight boxing. He keeps everything tight. He hits hard. He uses feints well. Strong kicks to the body. Uh, he'll throw out some stupid spinning attacks. He doesn't like to be pressured, though. Like, he, he, he was doing okay against Nazareth Hawkbrass early in that fight. But when Hawkbrass realized, and one thing when I rewatched the fight, they kept talking. Dominic Cruz kept pointing out that Hawkbrass was basically taking inventory, studying him, which I agree. Once he kind of realized what he wanted to do and he knew he wanted to get Silver on his back foot, Silver really struggled from that point when Hawkbrass was moving forward. Um, Silva also telegraphs a lot of his shots. He has a lot of tells because he loads up on everything. He wants to end it with one punch. I'm also worried about his chin as he was knocked out in his last fight, and it was a bad knockout. Like, he was unconscious for a while. He's not much of an offensive wrestler, but he is a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt if he gets down there. So my prediction is, my prediction is, I have no idea who wins this fight. It's so, I, I wasn't that high in either guy two, two and a half years ago. I don't feel much better about these guys. If they were 25, if, if, if there was a big gap in age, if one guy was 25 and the other guy was 33, I would automatically just go with the 25-year-old. That's not the case. <laughs> um, I'm going to go with the Brazilian simply because he has the factor where he hits harder. And there's a lot of changes with Rick Glenn. He's changed camp. He's changed weight class. Um, he's had hip surgery, which, I mean, that – that's a major thing right there. Like, I don't know if it was a hip replacement or, I mean, I don't, I don't think it was a hip replacement, but something, you know, something serious. That's, that's just not, that's not one of the body parts where you, you feel confident moving forward. So I'll just, from the, the less unknown, I'll go with Silva. I'll take him. Rick, Rick Glenn's really hard to finish. I'll take Silva by, I'm going to say split decision. 
There you go. So another uh, Dennis Bermudez special, because, yeah, that was a splitter, too. Uh, one nice thing about hosting this show is when I have no idea how to predict a fight, I get to throw it to you first, which is exactly what I did here. And I'm feeling the same thing you are. Both of these guys are just such unknown quantities at this point. It's been so, I, I mean, it's been two and a half years since we've seen Rick Glenn. And as you pointed out, so much has changed since then. Weight class, camp. I uh, I thought he was retired. Sorry, sorry to interrupt you. Before he was rebooked, I thought he was retired. Okay, carry on. Yeah. Oh, well, <laughs> it's, it's funny you mentioned that because I was just scrolling Twitter today and I saw a headline pop up that said, Eric Koch had accepted an 18-month suspension from USADA. I had to click on it to make sure it was a current article. I thought it was maybe something someone had liked or retweeted from like 2017. Like, I assumed Eric Koch was gone. So yeah, same, same vibe. Uh, and I'm leaning towards uh, Silva for the same reason you are. Uh, he's more powerful. Like, he's going to be a lot shorter in the cage. But, you know, he's a strong, compact guy. It works. It serves him well in his uh, striking as well as his uh, grappling. And just I don't know enough about Glenn or what he's going to look like when he comes back. Whereas I expect Silva to be pretty much the same guy he was. Just, you know, he, he is what he is. He's kind of topped out at just below the level of the top 20 or so, but still a tough guy. And I'll, I will take him certainly over such an, an unknown quantity as Glenn. So give me a Silva by decision as well. Next up on the UFC on ESPN 25 prelims, we have the, I, I really need to come up with an abbreviation for this because I say obligatory heavyweight slobber knocker every time. It's the OHS, I guess. Uh, it is Josh Parisian versus Roque Martinez. And, well, let's let's talk about these guys. Uh, Parisian, 31 years old, a two-time winner on Dana White's Contender Series. He is 13-4 and four overall. He is 0-1 in the UFC, having lost a unanimous decision to Parker Porter in his promotional debut last November. He'll be taking on Martinez. The 35-year-old Guamanian is 15-7-2 and two overall. He is 0-2 in the UFC. Uh, having lost to Alexander Romanov in September of last year, and then uh, a unanimous decision to Dante Mays last November at UFC Fight Night Felder versus Dos Anjos. Odds on this one are pretty close. Uh, Parisian is minus 125. Martinez out there, even money or plus 105 or so. For for two guys who are a combined 0-3 in the UFC, I don't think necessarily either of them is going to be cut off of this fight. Uh, both of them have, have shown certain signs of life. Uh, you know, Parisian, even though Porter completely put it on him in the second round of their fight, Parisian showed himself tough, decent cardio. He was still trying to win the fight in the third round. There aren't a whole lot of heavyweights able to come back from adversity, like from the bottom to the very top of the division. It's kind of a division of front runners. So just to show a little guts, you know, it's a spark of something. Meanwhile, Martinez, his first loss in the UFC was to Alexander Romanov. That's a free space. Like Romanov's 14 and 0. He's going to win a couple more before anyone turns it back. He, he's legit. And in the Maze fight, I mean, he just reminded me of Cabbage Carrera. Just this kind of dumpy looking dude who threw pretty hard and just was able to take an ungodly amount of punishment uh, without going down. I, I don't know if being the second coming of Cabbage is a ticket to longevity in the 2021 UFC, but. Like I say, neither of these guys has been just a complete fish. Having said that, I think Parisian does have staying power here where Martinez probably doesn't. Uh, 
you know, Parisian, I was impressed with him on the contender series because he was, I mean, he, he had a decent diversity of strikes. He was willing to throw spinning stuff, which is pretty impressive considering those one size fits most shorts that they give them on the contender series where like his pants almost fell down every time he threw a, a spinning back fist. Uh, given that the only thing Roque Martinez does at an outstanding level that I've been able to see is take punishment without going down. I'm not calling for the finish here, but I think Parisian's just going to beat him up pretty good for three rounds. Just give me Parisian by winning uh, all three rounds, probably mostly on the feet. He'll try to finish it numerous times. I mean, I expect him to throw five or six spinning back fists, uh, you know, just even naked ones out, out of nowhere. But he's going to be trying to finish Martinez the whole time. Martinez will, will come back with his own fire, but he'll probably get outstruck like two to one and just lose all three rounds. Give me Josh Parisian in this one. All right. <laughs> Who would have guessed we got a Cabbage Korea uh, reference? Uh, or old this. school, man. Yeah, man, I I loved it. I, I was there live in Uncasville, Connecticut at the Mohegan Sun Arena when Cabbage made his UFC debut and, and got hit with every single thing including the kitchen sink from Tim Sylvia. Uh, and I also, Randy Couture lost the title to Rico Rodriguez, and I, I shed a tear. Um, as, uh, so my only question about this fight is, how did we get two extremely low UFC-level heavyweights get matched up against each other and it not get on the main card? Because that's usually what the UFC like. They like to put, like, third from the top. Um or we got or, we got Greg Hardy coming in a co-main event in a couple of weeks. Like, yeah. and then he, you know he could probably fight the winner of this fight after that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's funny. Like we make fun of these fights, but I'm still intrigued. Like I'm intrigued to see the huge burly guy like Josh Parisian go against the really short pudge ball of Rookie Martin- Martinez. Uh, Parisian, a contender series guy, unathletic. You know, his hand speed is kind of slow, but he uses a lot of movement. He moves around the cage well for a guy whose hand, like, it's like when he's moving, he looks good until suddenly he stops and he wants to throw punches and then it's like goes into slow motion for a second. Um, but he, he understands range. He understands to throw out a jab. He he has some tall man defense. He pulls his head straight back or slowly to the same side. But he'll throw a lot of kicks. He'll throw occasional spinning attack that almost never lands. Um, unless you're was he was the one who knocked out Greg Rebello, right? He he knocked yeah, out Greg, yeah. yeah, he did knock out Greg Rebello with it. Other than Greg Rebello, Rhode Island's own Greg Rebello, uh, everybody else can avoid his spinning attacks as you can see it. <laughs> Is it Parker Porter from uh Rhode Island too? No, he's from Connecticut. Oh, Jeez. Sorry, Connecticut stand up. Connecticut uh, can take down uh, Josh <laughs> Parisian, but Rhode Island can't. <laughs> he is a very weak defensive wrestler. I mean, he was out wrestled by Parker Porter. Uh, if he gets on top, he has okay top control, uh, just from being a 265 pound man. But he's also slowed down greatly in past fights, uh, regional scene fights. If, if it goes deep into a fight. Now, move over to Martinez. Martinez is a little different. Like, everything's different throughout them. Parisian's big. Martinez is small. He's 5'10". Parisian moves around a lot. Martinez is flat-footed. Parisian has slow hands. Martinez actually hands are actually pretty fast. I'll give him that. But he can get very wild. He throws haymakers. He 
likes his inside kicks. He likes to get inside and kick the in, in, inside of the legs. He'll, I love that he throws a flying knee, which is funny when you're like a foot shorter than your opponent. So he, he his intentions is to throw a flying knee to your chin, but it maybe hits your belly button. <laughs> um, he's also a weak defensive wrestler. We saw that against Alexander Romanov. And I'm not saying when you get tossed around like a ragdoll by Romanov, you're a weak wrestler, but it was just like how easily he took him down. Mm-hmm. One At one point, he suplexed him. Uh, but he does look for subs off the back. Like they weren't successful at all. Like, uh, he, yeah, he tried to grab a leg while Romanoff is just absolute mauling him. So, as far as the prediction goes, it, there's just such a big gap in size. I think, I think Parisian's a more technical fighter. I've seen him face uh, a beat better competition. Like I actually think after the last two fights. Martinez is well. No, actually, Martinez has faced a lot of good competition. He just hasn't beaten any of them. Yeah. So, I would say, yeah, like, so I'll say Parisian has probably beaten the better competition. Um, and I'm really, really confident that he wins. Like, I just want to think about like, how does Martinez win? He he's going to get hit by a jab. He's going to hit by kicks. I think the line is way off. I think Parisian should be like at least a negative two hundred favorite. So not only am I making this a pick. I'm going to lock it in as my lock of the night, which I'm now calling if you like for you gamblers out there because, you know, we got to get some gambling. In there, so it's, I'm going to call this my best bet of the evening. And that's uh, what was the line on, on Josh Prezian at, at the current moment? I want to minus make sure 125. What was it? Negative 125? Minus 125. Yep. Yeah. I, I like that. I like minus 125 on Josh Prezian. So if you're looking to make a bet, that's my that's that's my best bet of the night. There you have it, folks. We now head to the welterweight division uh, for an intriguing matchup between Kalen Chaos Williams and Matthew Semmelsberger. Williams, the 27-year-old from Lansing, Michigan, is 11-2 overall. He is 2-1 in the UFC, uh, fought most recently at UFC Fight Night Thompson versus Neal last December, where he won and, or sorry, lost an entertaining three-round decision to fellow wild man Michelle Pereira. That put an end to the firework festivities with which he had joined the UFC. Uh, He debuted in February on short notice, knocked out Alex Morono in 27 seconds, uh, followed that up in November by knocking out Morono's teammate, Abdul Razak Al-Hassan, in 30 seconds. I can only assume there's a picture of uh, Kalen Williams on the dartboard at Fortis MMA. Nonetheless, he comes into this fight uh, 2-1 in the UFC. He'll be facing Semmelsberger, the 28-year-old from Maryland, is 8-2 overall. He is a perfect 2-0 in the UFC, defeating Carlton Minus at UFC on ESPN, Munoz versus Edgar last August, and then knocking out Jason Witt this March in just 16 seconds. Odds on this one uh, do favor Williams. He is minus 170. You can get Semmelsberger around plus 150 as the underdog. Keith? How do you see this one playing out? And do you think the real Chaos Williams is closer to what we saw in the Pereira fight? Or do you think we're going to see a few more sub one minute knockouts out of him before all is said and done? Well, well, first of all, I want to apologize for yawning while, you, while you're doing the intro. One, I, I got to remember that we have video now. <laughs> um, 
we, we are taping this at uh, it's 11.30 at night. So I apologize for, for yawning. And it has nothing to do with boredom because of the prelims. This is one of the fights I'm most interested in. Now, to answer your question, do I feel like Chaos Williams is more like what we saw against Michelle Vajaya or the guy who knocks people out in a minute? Well, that's a pretty easy bet to say. Like, I doubt he's going to continue to knock people out in under, you know, a minute or last two minutes or less. Uh, I, I like Chaos Williams. Uh, he, I think he he presses uh, presses the pace well. He throws super hard. I mean, we I mean you just talked about one minute knockouts. Uh, has the big power, hard hard calf kicks like we've seen that where he's he's also zapping his opponent's power. Though he does throw them naked and he's going to get blasted for throwing them without setting him up. He drops his hands a little bit and keeps his chin high, but he has a good chin. Like he's been blasted and just continues to walk through things. And if you can eat a punch and then land power of your own, and you just have to clip some, you know, just land grazing shots, you put people out, like you're going to do very well. How long will that last? Probably not that long because eventually your chin's going to fail. But so far, it's working, you know, fairly well for Chaos. He's got some good takedowns, but he's not an elite wrestler. Like I would not call him a wrestler. I mean, we saw him get out wrestled late in a fight against Michelle Pereira. Now, move over to Summersberger. They're going to talk about him playing at some. What was the college he played football at? Uh, if he's from Maryland, it's probably like it, Frostburg or Salisbury yeah, or something. Like they, keep, yeah. they keep pumping him up. It's it, it's it's like when uh, they kept talking about Oates, Oven St. Prue playing college football for University of Tennessee. And it was like, mm-hmm. yeah, dude, that was 15 years ago. <laughs> or or poor Eric Anders. Like how many times do you talk about like the guy got a stack in the national championship or something, fourth fumble or something like that? Like. Dude, that was like 20 years ago, whatever. Like, I, I don't know how long it goes, but um, that's how it goes. And this guy that we're trying to, they're trying to pump this guy even more. Is like he playing like, I don't know, William and Mary. I think, I think yeah. that might be where he played they're like, th- you know, D3 school or something. <laughs> um, but he is, he is a good athlete, good output on the, on the feet, fast hands, real nice snap in his punches. I love his, his counter right hand. I like that he goes to the body. We saw his power in his last fight, knocking out Jason Witt. Hard kicks. Um, I like that he has a high guard defense, so he keeps his hands up. He 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 does back straight back on the center line, though. He needs to um, either bob and weave, L-step, something like that to get off the center line. Uh, but he can wrestle, too. We see good entries. He needs to improve some of his control, though. Like, Carlton Minus, he kept taking Carlton Minus down, but Minus found a way to get back to his feet. Like, I don't like that. Like, you should be able to keep a guy like Carlton Minus down. Um, and he also slowed down in that Carlton Minus fight, which was was, was surprising. Um, I don't remember if he took that fight on short notice or anything like that. But as as far as my prediction, I love this fight. I think this is the best fight of the card. I I feel really good. Like, I don't know who's going to win, but whoever wins, I'm going to feel really good about that person moving forward. Like, I'm going to feel like, all right, so if Cass Williams starts in a minute or, you know, say he starts him in the third round, I'll be like, all right, Cass Williams is a serious dude. Like, he's got serious power. You know, is he top 15 guy? Probably not, but he's probably the next tier right below that. But if Summersberger in, in his young UFC career can get past a guy like – Chaos Williams, that looks really good. And honestly, I'm gonna go with it. I think I've I like that we've seen his power. I'm worried that you know we don't get this guy who's suddenly gets a knockout and he's chasing a knockout. You definitely don't want to do that against Chaos Williams. You want to stand in the pocket and throw it out with Chaos Williams. If you tell me that's the fight we're gonna have, then I'll switch my pick to Chaos Williams in a heartbeat. But 
this might be the well, it's probably the you know back to back fights now that KS Williams is not at least he's dead, he's not guaranteed to be the better athlete. Like I'm not sh- like I'm not he might be the better athlete, but I don't think he is. I actually think Samuelsberger might be. He moves really well, and you add in the fact that he can wrestle, and we just saw KS Williams giving up some takedowns late in a fight. I'm probably not many people are probably gonna do this, but I'm taking Samuelsberger, and I'm knocking this in as my upset special. All right, we got upset special on a high stakes prelim uh, fight. It is Keith Schillen calling the upset for Matthew Semi, the Jedi Semmelsberger. Yeah, I'd love that you, you uh, kind of put out that, that weird dynamic about them talking about his football career. What he reminds me of in a lot of ways in that way is Josh Berkman, because Josh Berkman was like a, you know, a small college like football standout, but it translated him into him being a guy that didn't have like D one size, but was athletic and explosive. Like Josh Berkman was always a dude that got by on explosive athleticism. Semmelsberger has some of that same uh, vibe to him. I'm in looking at, at Williams last, well, at all three of his UFC fights, his knockout of Morono, uh, you know, Morono uh, made some poor choices early in the fight. Well, I say early in the fight, it was 28 seconds. The whole fight was early in the fight and it was a wild fight. Both guys swinging wildly, not really something that told me too much about Williams' future in the division. The knockout of Al Hassan was a much niftier piece of work to me. Like, he he knew how Al Hassan liked to come out. He timed him beautifully, caught him coming in, and created that collision in the pocket where he just nailed him with that uh, short right just as Al Hassan was coming in and lowering his head, completely flatlined him. Uh, the Pereira loss... I wouldn't have have expected it from Pereira, who is, I mean, for a while there, he was the most notorious wild man in the UFC, except maybe Johnny Walker. But he won that fight. Well, you you mentioned that, that he turned to wrestling late, but for most of the first two rounds, he did it by forcing a patient out fight that didn't let Williams do what he wants to do. I don't know if Semmelsberger is going to do that. Semmelsberger comes in kind of aggressive in the first round. If this goes past the first round, if Semmelsberger does turn uh, to his wrestling, if he does force kind of a more patient fight on the Williams, it's anyone's fight, and I could very easily see that upset. I'm not picking it until I see it. Give me uh, Chaos Williams by first round knockout. Yeah, and, and before you close up, I looked up what school he went to. He played at Marist College. No disrespect to Marist College. We, I can speak for both me and Ben. We are both big fans of the Red Foxes. There you go. We now head to the women's strawweight division for a, a matchup that, well, you and I were talking about this kind of between segments, Keith. We lost the Tim Means versus Danny Roberts fight uh, yesterday, and Julian Arosa versus Sung Woo Choi was promoted to the main card to replace it. Nothing against that fight. That's a, that's a really fun fight, but about half the fights of the on the undercard would have been at least as justifiable for promotion. This is one of them. It's uh, Verna Jandaroba versus Kanako Murata. Jandaroba, the former Invicta FC champ, is 33 years old. She is 16 and two overall. She is two and two in the UFC, uh, having most recently lost a unanimous decision to Mackenzie Dern at UFC 256 last December. That snapped a two-fight winning streak over Mallory Martin and Felice Herrig. Uh, she takes on Murata. Murata, the 27-year-old Japanese fighter, is 12-1 and overall. She's 1-0 and in the UFC. 
She made a successful debut last November at UFC Fight Night Felder versus Dos Anjos, taking a unanimous decision over Random Marcos. Janjaroba is the slight favorite here. She is minus 140, where you can get Murata at plus 120. Uh, Keith, how do you see the fight breaking down between uh, these two small women? Yeah, this one is a really, really intriguing matchup just from a stylistic standpoint as as both girls are really known for their ground game and, and, and wondering if it goes to the ground, which I'm hoping it does. I hope we don't have a really ugly kickboxing match that if it goes to the ground, who's going to win? Now, Jander Robert is extremely one-dimensional. But when I say that, I, I kind of want to caution what I'm saying because – I've said that about Chase Hooper and Jordan Levitt the last two weeks, and I was saying, like, I will not pick them until I see another aspect of the dimension. That's not the case with, with Jan Roba because, she one, she is one-dimensional, and in female MMA, you can get further along in one dimension as you can in, in men's. Just – that might sound sexist, but it's just simply true. Except um, heavyweight, but yeah. Except heavyweight, yes, absolutely, yes, good point. Except, <laughs> yeah. except, heavy, except heavyweight, yeah. No, actually, it's like almost like the higher you go up in weight, the you know, you go down, the, you can't be one dimensional flyweight. You just simply yeah. can't be the case. Um, but the one thing about her is, like, she's really good at that one dimension. I don't think Chase Hooper and Jordan Levitt is. Like, I feel, and I feel like her skills complement that aspect. And what I mean by that is, she's a grappler, but and she's obviously a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. But she has good entries. She has good wrestling. She has good top control. She's not just a submission threat. She actually, in more sense, she, she's a girl who you know, prefers position over submission. But if if a submission is there, she can get she can get submission. I mean, when you talk about her, you always hear the constantly like her grappling is so legit. She beat Meninas twice in a jiu-jitsu tournament, like a jiu-jitsu match. Like that's how good she is. Muo Tamarada. She can match that. Now she's she's very under undersized. So she probably could be. I don't know if she could be an atom weight, but she's she's much smaller than Jenderova. On the feet, she's a southpaw. She uses a lot of movement and she's pretty fast, like the way she moves. But nothing stands out from a striker stance to me. Like she has low output at times. She really just and she you know she lacks power. She doesn't you know she throws single arm punches. She really just wants to get the fight to the ground because this is a girl who's a national champion in both wrestling and judo. Uh, she gets in body locks. Body locks is kind of like her specialty. She has, uh, she likes a, the you know, the un, double underhook inside trip uh, that Henry Cejudo does, where you see it a lot. Where um, you know, as you go through the inside trip, you kind of pop the shoulder, and so you kind of like pop in the upper body while you pull out the lower body. It's a beautiful, beautiful takedown. It's very, very hard to do. It's that's why you see someone like Henry Cejudo doing it. Uh, but she's got good drive through her hips, fast entries, explosive double A, busy ground and pound. However, she owes, I went all the way back to the Emmett Dakota fight. Is is a is, is a match that she was get a lot of top control. She had to fight off submission after submission, submission. So who's going to win? Marota's probably going to get some takedowns in Jandaroba, and she probably could control a little bit. But it, if Emmett Dakota can. Almost submit you. I think Jandaroba can, or at least sweep you. And if Jandaroba is on top, Jandaroba is a beast on top, and she wins rounds that way. I mean, she she won a round against Mackenzie Dern on all three judges' scorecards, and Mackenzie Dern is the you know absolute best when it comes to grappling for females. So that's how high I think of Jandaroba. She's fought the better competition. She's bigger. 
uh, I might really regret this pick come fight night. I can say, well, of course, you know, uh, Murata's the much better wrestler. Of course, she's winning. She's holding her down position. I just, right now, I can't pick, pick that. So give me gender over, and I say she finds a submission. Uh, I'll see you in the second round. Excellent. No, I'm on exactly the same tip that you are. I'm surprised that the odds are as close as they are here. I mean, looking at Jandaroba, yeah, I mean, she lost to Dern. and But as you pointed out, was at least competitive. And we're talking about somebody who is literally the worst style matchup in the entire division for her. We're talking about one of the biggest strawweights on the roster and a fighter who does her one dimension on a world-class level. And despite that, Jandaroba was right there. Her other UFC loss, you know, to Carla Esparza, and we've had to kind of re-examine Carla Esparza in recent months, and I'm thinking now, you know what? I, I wrote her off, but Carla Esparza has probably been a top-five strawweight this entire time. Like, in, in light of that, I agree with you. Murata will probably be able to get some takedowns. She's a good takedown artist. Uh, while she's very small, like she's even smaller than Jandaroba, uh, she is, you know, strong and she's more of an athlete. But I expect Andrew would have her in, in all kinds of trouble when they do go to the ground. I don't know if there will be a submission. I'm going to go with Jandaroba by decision. But again, uh, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with, with this one. Uh, I, I think I think the, the lines probably should have been a little wider. The featured prelim of UFC Vegas 29 is a light heavyweight scrap between Alexa Kamer and Nikolai Negomariano. Kamer, the 25-year-old Ohioan, is 6-1 overall. He's 1-1 in the UFC uh, since joining out of Season 3 of Dana White's Contender Series. Uh, he defeated Justin Ledette in his UFC debut at UFC 246 last January, lost a unanimous decision to William Knight, uh, at UFC 253 last September. He will be taking on Nego Mariano. The 26-year-old Romanian is 9-1 overall. He is 0-1 in the UFC, uh, fighting for the first time in uh, over two years. He lost to Saperbek Safarov at UFC Fight Night Till versus Masvidal all the way back in March of 2019. Uh, Kamer is a heavy favorite here. The Biggest favorite on the card so far. He is minus 250. If you like the Romanian on the comeback, you can get plus 210 for him. Uh, Keith, as Kamer is a product of Dana White's Contender Series, I will definitely chip this one to you first. Uh, who do you like? Well, first of all, I like you and your pronunciations, man. I got to give you credit for this one. <laughs> you you were just, it was just the rolling off your tongue how to say uh, Nikolai Nigga Mariano. That's pretty good. There you go. But I was I slowed that way down, sounding it <laughs> out. I mean, you were just flowing like John Anik. Um so so Kamer's a really undersized fighter for this division. Like he he could probably continue to go down a weight class. He is usually aggressive on the feet, and I'm saying usually because some weird reason in his last fight against William Knight, he had really low output in that fight. Um he has a bob and weave style. Throws hard, really sits on his punches, has good power. He throws a jab, but he uses more of a power jab. Like, he throws a jab not to find range. He throws a jab to hurt you. Rips the body. A lot of kicks. I love his switch kick. I love his question mark kick. 
he doesn't check kicks. That that is a little bit of an issue, but that has more to do with the way you sit on your punches. When you're a big power puncher, it's like the John Lineker type. When you really sit down on your punches, pe- people are going to be able to take out your legs. I wouldn't call him a good wrestler. I actually would say he's a weak defensive wrestler, but if he gets on top, good ground and pound. Um, but he did look really, really bad against William Knight, which really changes my opinion. I'm like, I'm, you know, I, I wouldn't say I was high on him, but I, I liked him moving forward. And I think I'm like, this is a guy that will have pretty good success in the UFC. Like, if he gets 10 fights, he'll probably go, you know, 6 and 4. Like, I'm, a, I'm much lower on him than I was before. Now, move over to Negar Mariano. I mean, he lost to Safarov. Safarov. So, plain and simple, he isn't good. He's been out for two and a half years. He is only 26, so we could see improvements. But based on what we've seen in the past, he's a wild man. He throws a lot of looping hooks. Lacks power, though, even though he throws these big hooks because they're mostly arm punches. not a lot of technique to it. He backs straight up. He actually was hurt on the feet by Safarov, who's not really known for his striking. He kept getting taken down easily by Safarov. He struggled to get back up. He does have three submission wins on his record, and he was trying to throw up submissions against Safarov. Nothing was close. Now, I know people would say, well, yeah, it was Safarov and the illegal cage pulling, cage grabbing like 12 times. It was the illegal elbow after the bell, like all the nasty stuff. Yep, absolutely. I agree. Like, I, I agree that there should have been more points taken on Safarov. I think that you actually could have argued a disqualification, but that's not the case. And that was like, that was a very long time ago. So, as a prediction, both guys look beyond terrible in the last fight. But the other guy lost to Sapovic Safarov. I think Kmore can make adjustments. I mean, you figure he, he's got to learn something. I mean, he trains with a really famous heavyweight. And obviously, you know, he's a training partner. Obviously, I'm talking about Jeff Hughes. He, uh, <laughs> I, the joke, that was a joke. I'm talking about former. Is they, they'll mention a hundred times during his fight that he trains with Stipe Miacic. Uh, I've seen tools. I've seen things I liked in Kmar. I haven't seen that in Nikolai Negamariano. So give me, give me Kmar. And you know what? I'm gonna say that he. I'm gonna say he turns the page on that William Knight. We see the guy that we saw in the Contender Series, the guy that we had some promise. I say he really sits on his punches. I say he actually finishes the fight. I'm going to say he finishes the fight in the second round by TKO. Excellent. I'm I'm with you. I'm surprised that Nikolai Negamarianu is even back. I, I guess if I thought about him at all, I assumed he'd been cut and or walked away for the, from the sport. Because, yeah, he came up uh, with an undefeated record, but all but well, like one of his fights were in Romania, which in the mid 2010s did not have a real strong local scene. I mean, he didn't have a, he he has, he has no decent wins on his way up. And when he got just pretty much embarrassed, even if it was an ugly, dirty fight by a mediocre fighter in Saperbeck Safarov, I guess I assume that was it. You know, if I thought about him at all during the year of COVID, I guess I thought, yeah, we'll never see him again. We see him again. And you're right. We see him against someone in Kamer who looked bad in his last fight, but at least I'm far from writing him off entirely. It sounds like uh, you are as well. Kamer's really young. And yeah, he just came out and fought a weird fight. I cannot blame any man who 
decides that it doesn't sound like a good idea to go charging at William Knight like winging punches. Like I, I you know, I, I will call no man coward until I've, I've stood in his shoes. And it was interesting because he turned into a guy that kind of wanted to bring the fight to the ground. I don't know if he'll do that against Negamarianu, but if he just fights his fight, if he fights uh, the style that got him through Dana White's contender series that allowed him to bust up uh, Justin Ledette, I see no reason he won't knock out Negamarianu. Like, there's a possibility that Negamarianu is vastly improved from the, the two years away. He'll be a whole new fighter. If that is the case, you'll hear it from us first on the recap as we extol his virtues. But again, I'll... I, I'm not picking that until I see it. Uh, give me uh, Kamer by knockout, and I'm going to go ahead and say first round. The UFC on ESPN 25 main card kicks off with a welterweight scrap between Matt Brown and Diego Lima. Matt Brown, the 40-year-old Ohio native, is 22-18 and 18 overall. He's 15-12 and 12 since joining the UFC out of season 7 of The Ultimate Fighter. I can't remember. Anyway, he fought most recently in January, dropping a unanimous decision to Carlos Condit at UFC on ABC One. Prior to that, he was knocked out early in the second round by Miguel Baeza at UFC on ESPN Overeem versus Harris last May. Uh, he'll be taking on Lima, the younger brother of former Bellator welterweight champ Douglas Lima, is 15-8 and eight overall. He is 4-6. and six in the UFC, but that is slightly deceptive as he had a pretty unsuccessful run back in the early 2010s. He is three and three on this trip to the UFC and his loss to Bilal Muhammad at UFC 258 in February actually uh, snapped a three fight winning streak for him. Uh, Lima is the slight favorite here. He is minus 70. You can get Brown at plus 150 as the underdog and well, I, I keep having to stop myself from saying the ageless Matt Brown because he's definitely not ageless. Age has been showing. I mean, when you are one of the most renowned blood and guts fighters in UFC history and all of that happened after you had to be resuscitated from a heroin overdose, the miles are going to show at the same time the years do. I think the immortal is a great nickname for this guy. Uh, he, he may be impossible to kill, He's not impossible to stop anymore. He's, I mean, he's not exactly the same because he wants to knock you out while the other guy I'm going to compare him to wants to take you down and choke you out. But it's a bit like Jim Miller. He's still got the same tools he used to, but he's slowed down and he's really good for about one round. He's got one round to do his thing to you. Uh, I picked him over Miguel Baeza and for about a round, I felt pretty good about it. But just that's, that's when the Matt Brown machine stops. So this is a pretty straightforward fight to me. Uh, Diego Lima, he's no longer the laughing stock. I mean, there was there was one point where I mean, it's unkind to say, but Douglas Lima was over in Bellator and one of the very few certifiable top 10 fighters who had never fought in the UFC where Diego Lima was in the UFC and just losing to mediocre fighters. He has turned some kind of corner there. He lost to Bilal Muhammad, but it, he wasn't a terrible performance for him. And before that, he'd won three in a row. Luke Jumeau, Court McGee, and Chad LaPreece, none of them are complete world beaters, but they're not complete chumps either. Like Diego Lima in his early 30s seemed to be turning a corner. This is his fight to lose against Brown. And 
I mean, Brown's best chance is just to come at him, you know, use that super aggressive Muay Thai style, back him into the cage where Lima can't get away and just do Matt Brown things, kill him with a level elbow, smash him with knees, you know, hit him with a high kick. He's really good at uncorking high kicks in a small amount of space. He's one of those guys that can launch a kick from boxing range and, and land on people. But again, he is slowed and he has about five minutes to do it. Sad as it makes me, uh, you know, to say, give me Diego Lima by decision. And it's nothing against Lima. It's just that, you know, it's sad to watch a, a hero kind of trickle away in, into the sunset. Yeah, I, I agree with a lot of things you said. You talked about all the damage he's taken over the years. Matt Brown, obviously, I'm speaking of the drug use and all that. You know, that was that's always tough to get, you know, for him to be going at this age in this division, too. I mean, this is not a heavyweight. I mean, these, is, these are welterweights. He, Matt Brown, it, it, it's, you know, you call him as, you know, like a fan favorite. Everybody loves Matt Brown. Like, no, he's he's one of the guys that never got to the upper echelon, never was a top five welterweight. I don't know if he even cracked the top 10 at one point. I mean, he may have, I don't know, but you know, most people viewed him as like the next tier down, but he's still one of the most popular guys. Ever. Like very few guys have that. And that's what Matt Brown has. But those days are long numbered. This guy was never a great athlete. It's obviously worse at age 40. He's ha- he has a lot of technical issues. He keeps his chin high in the air. He doesn't check kicks. He's been hurt to the body more times than I can count his chin at this point. You're like, you talk about him slowing. That's true. Can he take the damage? Like his durability. That was the one thing about Matt Brown. As you mentioned, he, he, the immortal is a perfect nickname for him. It, it, it's, you know, maybe it should be like slightly less immortal Brown now as, as I mean, you know, we talked about the Miguel Baeza fight, Baeza like hurt him, then put him out. Carlos Condit in the last fight hurt him. Uh, so those are the negatives. The positives is, man, this is just a violent dude. He just marches forward. He's got good power. I think it's slightly overrated. Like I don't think he's as big of a hitter as as he gets credited for. But he does sit on his punches. As you mentioned, he loves the elbows. His KO of Diego Sanchez is one of the most violent ever. Um, but that was also kind of facing another guy that was – Diego Sanchez is at where Matt Brown is now. What three years ago when that happened? Whenever that happened, uh, he is very physically strong, it, which sounds like a contradiction when I was talking about his punch and power being a little overrated. But I'm talking about strong in in the clinch. Like if he gets in, in the clinch, he can dirty box you in there. Uh, he'll sneak in a takedown. Nice trips, body lock takedowns, and close. If he's on top, just violent, violent ground and pound. I used to say he had good takedown defense, but that is not the case anymore. We we sort of all grappled in his last fight by Carlos Conant, who's not known for his grappling. So that that's a huge sign. Besides the slowing on the feet, he suddenly he's slowing in his grappling. Uh, move over to Diego Lima. Uh, every time I see Diego fight, I always think the same thing. Like, wouldn't he make more sense just being on the Bellator roster and just kind of be be you know pitbull? You know, Patricky Pitbull, be that'll be <laughs> that guy. Like, like good, like a good fighter, not his brother. Uh, he is a he's a he's a massive welterweight. I said this last time we talked about him. Like, I've seen him in person many times because where I live is like Bellator is like second home, so he's always there with his brother. He looks like a light heavyweight. Like he's he's just a huge. Like he looks like a light heavyweight, undersized heavyweight. 
Like, you know, you stand him next to Ryan Bader, just doesn't look much different. He isn't the elite athlete that his brother is, uh, but he is fairly technically sound. He, he he fights behind a guard, technical boxer. I, I'd say plus power. I'm going to say big power, but I say plus power. Um, he he can get into ruts though of of low output, um, where he's looking for you know one big punch. Uh, strong strong calf kicks though, like his like his brother. Like he likes to target the calf kicks. Doesn't really check kicks himself. I feel like a broken record. I feel like I say that about every fighter. Uh, it will sneak in a takedown, especially if they're in close in the clinch. But I talked about Matt Brown's takedown defense. Diego Lima is historically bad defensive wrestler. Like we we just saw what happened with his brother against Jaroslav Amosov, and and talked about the weakness of of Douglas Lima being that. Well, that would that would have been three times the takedowns if that was Diego Lima. If if Amosov decided not, you know, he wanted to let him up every time he took him down. Um, and Chin has been a little bit of an issue in the past. As far as prediction, I'm, you seem very confident in Diego Lima. I'm not nearly as confident as you are, but I'm also taking Diego Lima. Simply because of the fact, at this point in their careers, I feel he, he's, he's always been the more technically sound fighter of the two. But I think he's a little bit more durable. He is, you know, Matt Brown is a guy that he actually could win a grappling matchup, and I just, I just don't trust Matt Brown. I really feel like he's, he's done. Um, this would hit an all-time low in, in, in his UFC run if he loses to someone like Diego Lima, who is, you know, truly a C-level UFC fighter, like you know, borderline. Even though he's been on a nice run, he's still, I mean, he's, he's beaten low, you know, fellow guys in that same range. So this would be a all time low, and I think we're about to hit it. So give me Diego Lima, and, and I'm also going to say by decision. Next up, it is a middleweight matchup featuring Wellington Terman and the long awaited, long delayed UFC debut of Bruno Silva. Terman, the 24 year old Brazilian, is 16 and 4 overall. He is one and two in the UFC. He fought most recently last August at UFC Fight Night Lewis versus Olenek, getting knocked out in the first round by Andrew Sanchez. Uh, prior to that, he last fought in November of 2019, where he won a unanimous decision over Marcus Perez. Uh, he'll be taking on Silva, the once highly touted prospect coming into the UFC, was signed out of a win over Artem, or signed off of a win over Artem Frolov at. Uh, M198 back in November of 2018. He was promptly given a PED sus uh, suspension. The UFC held his roster spot for him, so make of that what, what you will, but uh, they were interested enough in him that he is now making his debut uh, two and a half years later. He's 31 years old, uh, 19 and 6 overall, and this will, of course, be his UFC debut. Uh, despite that, he is a, a bit of a favorite here. He's minus 155, where you can get Terman at plus 130 or plus 135 uh, as the underdog. Uh, Keith, will Bruno Silva be worth the wait? And if not, will he at least be good enough to beat Wellington Terman? Well, you, you already know my answer because I told you off the air, but um, I'll, I'll pretend that we don't know. Um, so I'm intrigued by this because... I don't think it's a step up in competition. Like I don't think Wellington Tournament is better than, say, Alexander Shemenko or, or you know, guys like that he's faced. 
but you know, there's something about coming to the UFC. There's something about the bright lights. Something about there's something about knowing that the guy you're supposed to beat matters to you because you have to get past this hurdle to to the guys you want to. You know, Israel Asanya, your Robert Whitaker's, your your Marvin Vittori's, those guys. So so there is there's pressure you feel more than you did in M1 Global. Um, I'll start with with uh, Wellington Terman. He's only 24 years old. You gotta like that. On the feet, he's he's aggressive. Got some real snap on his punches. I love his pocket boxing style. Like he 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 loves a pocket boxing match. Uh, he I I I don't want to say he admires his work, but he he does get frozen sometimes seeing if his punch lands. He throws every punch with power, trying to end the fight. Every single thing he has huge tell signs, but loading up on every shot. Um, he does mix in punches and kicks together, though. I like that he throws kicks in his combinations. He throws a lot of kicks. He also throws in his uh, occasional spinning attack. But I'm worried about about his chin, as as we saw in his last fight against Andrew Sanchez. Andrew Sanchez looked one; he looked great against him. But Andrew Sanchez knocked him out brutally in in that fight. He is a good grappler, though. Um, not not a wrestler. Again, that feels like the, the kind of theme. Not a strong wrestler, but he. You know he's a Brazilian. Um, you know he 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 can grapple. Move over to Silva. <laughs> the funny thing about Silva is I, I watched two fights uh, before I realized I was watching the wrong guy because <laughs> I was like, wow, this guy is not nearly. I didn't realize I was watching Bruno Santos <laughs> instead of Bruno Silva. Um, but he he fights out of both stances. And, and and a while ago I said I'm gonna stop talking about guys who switch stances uh, as everyone does it. But no, this guy he really he he really constantly moving stances. Um, he tends to fight in blitzes, so he he, he swarms. Like he, he he waits for a moment, then he kind of swarms with you. Combinations. He hits really really hard, like really really hard. And and what I mean by that is, he seems like the first time he just touches the guy, they instantly crumble to the ground. And like sometimes the, the punches that I'm like they didn't even look like a good shot, but somehow he it happens like every one of his knockouts, and he's got a whole bunch of knockouts. It was like. I don't know, like eighteen fights. He's got something like seventeen or eighteen knockouts. It's it's it's, it's way up there how many knockouts he has for for the wins he has. He is wild though. He, he's open for counters because he throws from his hips. Uh, I like that he throws flying knees though. It's different than rookie Martinez. He uses it because he just he's very aggressive. He, he's got a strong plum clinch. Uh, we saw that in the Alexander Slomenko fight where he got to the clinch and just destroyed it before he put Slomenko down. I don't like some of the things he does defensively. He's got a very just just turtle up style, like similar to what we've seen Alistair Overham do a lot, where they just they kind of try to hide uh, in in boxing. They like to call it uh, pillaring, pillaring. Um, he does that a lot. Like he just wants to hide, and that's not nearly as effective because of the size of the gloves in MMA. He he can grapple and he will look for a takedown, but ultimately he's always trying to create space to land big shots. I'll say this: I'm not nearly as high on Bruno Silva as others. Like, there's there's people out there that think this guy is a title contender one day. Like, they look at his knockouts, they look at some of the guys he's beaten, uh, and they say this guy's going to challenge for the UFC middleweight title. It's it's not the deepest division, so it it's not out of the realm of possibility. I just don't see it. Like, I don't think he's as good. As as I you know what I've seen him on film, like he doesn't he doesn't impress me that much. Um, he he seems way too wild to me. Not 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 nearly as polished. I'm going 
I'm going to pick him here because he's faced the better competition. And, and power ultimately is a great equalizer in a match. You know, he could be losing and then just catch uh, Wellington coming in. So give me Silver, and, and just based on his history, I'll say he does it early. So give me Silver by first-round knockout. But I'm if, if I'm betting, I'm staying way away from this fight. Like, I, I wouldn't be shocked if Wellington Terman wins this fight. I want so badly to call for the upset here. Because I definitely feel what you're saying about Silva, just where you're, temp- you're tempted to kind of overrate him based on his highlight reel and his record. Uh, but yeah, all, all the things you said, plus the long layoff. And when you have that long a layoff and it's four PEDs, who knows what you're going to get like physically coming out of that. Having said that, you couldn't find a much more favorable matchup for this guy for his debut than Wellington Terman. Terman, as you pointed out, he's just 24. I could totally see him being the kind of guy who gets cut from the UFC. Like, in fact, if Bruno Silva beats him up tonight and he's all of a sudden one and three in the UFC, he's probably going to be on my cut list. But I could see him getting cut from the UFC, going somewhere else, like getting some seasoning and coming back at like age 28 and having a decent UFC run, kind of like we just talked about Diego Lima. his problem is he wants to wrestle and he wants to bully people and he just can't do it to UFC level fighters. I mean, his loss to Carl Roberson, I actually thought he won that fight, but the problem to me is that Carl Roberson is one of the worst wrestlers and grapplers in the middleweight division. And Terman wanted to wrestle and grapple him really bad and had trouble doing it. Like Roberson swept him twice. Terman couldn't hold him down couldn't get him in real submission trouble, couldn't land much ground and pound. Like if you can't do that to Carl Roberson and that's your really your only way to beat Bruno Silva, you're in a lot of trouble. Uh, yeah, I just I as much as I want to pick Terman in this one and as much as I think that Terman probably hasn't hit his ceiling yet as a fighter, this is a good setup for Bruno Silva. I think he's going to look really good. And everyone's going to be mad at us for being the guys that are still like the detractors. Like I, I'm not buying it just yet. He'll be one of those guys that I have to be wrong about him like three fights in a row before I, I actually get on the train. But yeah, give me Bruno Silva by first round knockout. Yeah. I, I can't wait for people to give us crap about picking, you know, that this fight could be an upset. And then we both picked, uh, I, I said, what round did you say? I said first round. You said yeah. early. So yeah, I, I we, assume you went yeah, first round. Uh, yeah, we both said first round knockout. Like we both will pick him first round knockout, but somehow he, he wins by first round knockout, and we'll we'll get hate for it. Yep. That brings us to the featherweight division and the beneficiaries of the loss of that Tim Means fight, as Julian Arosa and Sung Woo Choi are promoted to the main card. Arosa, the 31 year old from Washington State, is 25 and eight overall. He is three and four in the UFC, but as has been kind of a theme uh, on this card already, he's two and zero oh on his current stint in the UFC. He is one of the guys that's completed the trifecta. He has joined the UFC out of the Contender Series, joined the UFC out of Tough, most recently joined the UFC as a short notice replacement of the kind that we've had many in the COVID era. Third time has apparently been the charm because he has wins over Sean Woodson and Nate Landwehr two much more highly regarded prospects than himself. And it looks as though at 31, you know, th- this is this is go time for the man who calls himself Juicy J. 
and you'll never hear me call him that again. He will be taking on Choi. The 28-year-old Korean is 9-3 and three overall. He is 2-2 two and two in the UFC. Uh, however, he is on a two-fight win streak, having taken unanimous decisions over Suman Mokhtarian and uh, most recently, back in February, Yusef Zalal. Odds favor Choi here. He is minus 150. Uh, Arosa is available at plus 130. Keith, who you got? So I understand why this fight got moved up to to the main card because of both their styles. They they can both throw down an instant. Julian Rosa loves a firefight, so I understand that. Uh, Arosa, a very tall guy, long and lengthy. He's got a seventy six inch reach advantage. He fights from both stances. He's got high pace. He's a he's a pressure striker. We talked about this in the last breakdown. I thought he broke Sean Woodson just with his volume, and, and mentally broke him. He does lack true one-punch fight-ending power, which is a bad thing for someone who likes to get dragged into a firefight. Like, I, don't, I shouldn't say he, he likes to get dragged in. He, he might be the guy who drags in. Like, he holds his, he likes to stand his ground, hold it down, and just say, hey, let's throw down, even though this <laughs> not best for me, but I, I'm having fun doing it. From the outside, he's not that bad, though. Like, he loves, you know, deep kicks to the body, throws hard kicks to the body. Uh, can quickly go up from you know the body kick to the high kick. Um, he does have some defensive flaws though. Lacks head movement. He keeps his chin high in the air. He backs straight up on the center line. But not a bad not a bad offensive grappler. He can sneak in a takedown. Uh, I would say he's a weaker defensive wrestler, and that's more because he doesn't defend takedowns. He loves jumping on a guillotine instead of sprawling, which is you know. Glass empty, half empty, half full thing. Where it, it, if you catch it, it's great. If you don't catch it, you know you're on bottom, and you got probably a guy who was looking to take you down anyways. You know, like a wrestler on the hips, probably is a good wrestler on top of you. Uh, though he does look for subs off his back, but it kind of can be frustrating because he's looking for submissions instead of looking for openings to scramble back to his feet. Uh, move over to Troy. Troy looked tremendous in his last two fights against uh, Marktarian and Zalal. He is a Muay Thai specialist. He's also long and lengthy that can fight. I think he can fight from both distance and inside the pocket, wherever this fight goes. He he's a stalking counter striker. He he has fast, accurate hands, but he draws them out by just ha- what happens is he's constantly moving forward, which is making you throw out of him is what he wants. And then he he counters. Uh he stays tight. Everything comes straight out the pipe. Uh he'll he can. He also, if you're not attacking him, he'll sit back and, and kind of dull you to sleep for a second to suddenly he swarms with a flurry of strikes, fighting in a big burst, big combinations. He throws a lot of kicks. He's good in the clinch. He likes knees in there, elbows in there, solid takedown defense. If on top, he's got good good top control, good ground and pound. Haven't seen much of him, like, initiating wrestling it's more he ends up there by beating up the guy on the feet and then they go for a takedown so as as far as prediction goes this this is not my fight and i pick but there's going to be some fun exchanges but to me choice is clean man he's just a very clean fighter he looks like he's peaking the arosa run that he's on it, it, it's nice i love the story i love the guy who keeps overcoming the finding his way back in um, getting on an unlikely winning streak, it's it's nice. 
but there really is one, you know, there's one prospect in this fight. It is one that has a bright future, and that's Choi. I like Choi. Uh, I, you said the betting line was close. It's minus 150 for Choi, plus yeah. 130 for Rosa. Yeah. Um, I already made my best bet pick, so I'm not going to throw another best bet, but I like I like Choi at, at negative 150. If it closes up anything, you know, gets to like negative one thirty, one negative one twenty five, jump on that. If if you're a betting man, uh, I I will say this though: if you do bet, make sure you bet responsibly. Don't bet your mortgage or anything like that. But uh, as 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 we both me and Benish and, and the entire Sherdog staff do not uh, endorse irresponsible gambling. But sometimes when you got a good line, you got to jump on that line. So jump on that line. So give me uh, give me Choi. And I'm going to say he finds a way to get a roster out there. I'm going to say in the third round. Hey, if that happens, that will mark the return of Sung Woo Choi as a knockout threat at the UFC level. Because the thing about Choi is coming up in Korea, he was knocking people out left and right, including like, you know, fast knockouts. At the UFC level, he's had stinging power, but not quite like fight ending power. Like, you could see in the Zalal and Mokhtarian fights, like they didn't like it when he hit them. You know, it, it definitely like they reacted. It it made them, you know, change th- their approach. But he's not just been stunning people. If he's going to stun somebody, it's maybe Erosa because he is still uh, he's he can still be caught and, and blasted out of there. I mean, I was I was present when Julio Arce erased him with, with that head kick. Uh, <clears throat> I guess I assumed that Choi was going to be a liability in terms of defensive wrestling. Just I saw this really tall, long-legged, skinny. Well, I mean, he's not skinny, skinny, but you know, tall, rangy striker. But it, it turns out that you know, Movsar Ivloyev and Gavin Tucker are going to out wrestle a lot of people. So I'm higher on Choi, you know, th- than I was a couple years ago for sure. And yeah, this is a good. This is a good fight for him. If he can put away Arosa early, great. If not, I think he's at least going to be able to sock away a couple rounds. As you pointed out, uh, Arosa has been getting, uh, I mean, his win over Woodson. Uh, certainly something broke there. I believe that was Woodson's first career loss. It also exposed Woodson's gas tank a bit because he was really sucking wind in that third round. Those are things that uh, Arosa can do to Choi if this wears into the third round. But I think if it does, Choi's already going to have two rounds socked comfortably away, and he's not going to get finished. So give me Choi uh, by decision. Third fight from the top at UFC Vegas 29 is a bantamweight scrap between Marlon Vera and Davey Grant. It is a rematch of a fight that, count me among those who had to be reminded that it even happened, but a rematch of their meeting all the way back in February of 2016. Farah, the 28-year-old Ecuadorian by way of Southern California, is 16-7-1 overall. He is 10-6 in the UFC. Uh, fought most recently in December, dropping a unanimous decision to Jose Aldo at UFC Fight Night Thompson versus Neil. Prior to that, he had a quick win over Sean O'Malley, which O'Malley, of course, denies happened. And before that, had lost a unanimous uh, decision to Song Yadong at a fight which I believe took place actually at Featherweight. Grant, the 35-year-old, uh, 
Englishman is 13 and 4 overall. He is 4 and 3 in the UFC and he is on a three fight winning streak. Uh most recently he fought in March knocking out Jonathan Martinez in the second round at UFC Fight Night Edwards versus Muhammad. Before that, he knocked out Martin Day in the third round at UFC 251 back in July. Uh odds on this one despite the fact that Grant won their first fight, and despite the fact that Grant is on a three-fight winning streak, heavily favor Vera. Vera is minus 230. Grant is out there around plus 190. And I absolutely understand why. Uh, it's a rematch several years in the making, and I'm not saying these guys are Israel Adesanya and Marvin Vittori, but it is a, it's a similar situation where both guys have definitely improved quite a bit since the first fight but they haven't necessarily improved equally. And more importantly, they haven't improved in ways that are equally relevant to the rematch. You know, like Vittori's a much, much better striker than he was in the first Adesanya fight, but it wasn't going to matter. Here, Vera lost that first fight because Grant could take him down and Vera did not know what to do. Like, on top of being a pretty straightforward win for Grant, it was an ugly loss for Vera. I mean, he grabbed the fence, he stuck his fingers in Grant's gloves so many times he finally got a point taken away. So we ended up with like a 10-8 round. And it should have been a 10-8 round because it would have been a 10-8 round if Vera wasn't like clinging on for dear life to uh, Grant's glove tape. Like, that's not going to happen this time. Uh, Vera has improved everywhere, but he's gone from a, you know, I'm not not one-dimensional, but a guy with a definite preference for uh, fighting on the feet to a guy who can win a fight anywhere. Uh, he is physically stronger than he was before, and he is a much better offensive as well as defensive wrestler and a much better grappler. Brandt is basically the same guy he was five years ago, just he's finally healthy and stringing together some momentum. But yeah, like those are the improvements, is that he's probably the best Davy Grant right now, whereas Marlon Vera is a completely different Marlon Vera. I think Vera's gonna... Uh, I think he's gonna win this one, and Grant's never been knocked out before, so I'm not going to pick that to happen. So maybe Vera stings him up a little bit. Uh, they go to the grounds, and he shows Grant how much things have changed in the last few years. Give me Marlon Vera by third-round submission. All right. Time for the rematch that I never knew we needed or wanted, but I'm very happy about it. And it, it, yes. it I'm happy in the sense where, you know, Marlon Vera has, has faced, like, the weirdest competition. Like, he faces, like, a a guy that's barely in the UFC, then he faces Jose Aldo. You know, like, this this in, in his recent run, he's, he's been all kinds of things from the buffet. While Davey Green is just slowly being an underdog and getting knockouts. And I just feel like he kind of deserves, you know, a, you know, a step up in competition. Now, you get, as you mentioned, Marlon Vera, he already has a win over him, but like this win means so much more if he won now. Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Vera, Vera's a good fighter. I mean, he's, he's a southpaw, he's long and lengthy, he's a pressure fighter, constantly moving forward, constantly cutting off the cage. Um, and I shouldn't say constantly, but constantly c- cutting off the cage about four minutes in. Because he's, he's actually a slow starter. He, he takes a while to kind of get going, but once he gets going... He's a builder as the fight goes on. His output increases as the fight goes on. Similar to Max Holloway, we talked about in the past, Max Holloway is a slow starter until he isn't. Uh, I would say I would say Vera has plus power. I, I wouldn't give it a you know, power hitter, but great kicking game. 
Very good kicking game. Kicks everywhere. Uh, Salichin, I, you know, he's, he's, I mean, he went 15 minutes with John Lineker. Uh, a lot of heart. Kept fighting him through against, you know, Jose Aldo, like won the third round against Jose Aldo. Though for such a good offensive fighter, he's got a lot of defensive flaws. He's 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 very hittable. Like that's that's the one thing about Marlon Vera. He's uh, but he's very durable. But he drops his hands. Uh, also, in the in the clinch, he's he's a strong clinch fighter. He's in the clinch. Uh, does get takedowns, but as which is the theme again. He's not a great offensive wrestler. He's more of a guy that will just like catch a kick and follow you to the ground. Uh, not a great defensive wrestler, but if the fight hits the ground, we've seen him. He's a good grappler, like on his back, on top. Uh, if, if if he's on top, good ground and pound. If not, you know, if a scramble ensues, slick back takes. He's got eight submission wins in his career. Uh, he's he's a 10th planet BJJ black belt. Move over to David Grant. David Grant is unathletic. Generally speaking, like I, if we, we do, we talk about the decathlon and a lot of stuff. Like he's not going to be high up there, but he he flows well. He really flows when he's in there. He uses a lot of movement. Um, he throws looping punches from his hips, where you, normally I don't like that. It kind of works for him because he really gets whip on him, and it's been effective. We saw in his last two fights, Martin day and, and Jonathan Martinez, he, he knocked both of them out with a, with a crushing left hook that came from grandma's house. It was, it was, it was like, you know, that, the old song is coming around the mountain. It was coming around mm-hmm. the mountain. Like it was a looping shot, but if he connects, he lands, but he's also fun because while he's throwing these looping shots, it leaves him open. I mean, even though he won both those fights by knockout in both of those fights, he was dropped himself by Martin day and Jonathan Martinez. Uh, he loves this sidekick. He loves the Holly Holm. Like, just throw out there sidekick. Uh, he will attack calf kicks, just tons of kicks. He He's not an explosive wrestler, but he's an opportunistic wrestler. Like he'll open up. He'll start throwing these big looping punches. You start open back. You want a firefight, and then suddenly he's dropping down on your hips, and he's pulling you out. Uh, if he's taken down... I like that he works. He doesn't play a judicial game. He works back to his feet. He's got a pretty good uh, get-up game. And he has a submission there. He has got He's got eight submission wins on his record. Uh, as far as prediction goes, um, yeah, you're very confident in, in Marlon Vera. I am too because he's more technically sound. He's more technically sound on the feet. Uh, Davey Grant has a good output, but that looping hard shot style is not going to be able to sustain the output that Marlon Vera will. And yeah, he can crack Marlon Vera, but I haven't seen Marlon Vera, you know, hurt, knocked down, knocked out. Uh, I'm sure he has. I just I can't think of it off the top of my head as, as I'm speaking. But he's faced tougher competition. He's looked good. Like, even the fights that he's lost, like he didn't get blown out the water by Jose Aldo. Um, and he didn't get blown out the water by John Lineker. Like he's always in it. So I look at him just a tear above. Davy Grant. So yeah, we're gonna count Davy Grant out again, but give me Marlon Vera. I'm gonna say the opposite. I, I think I don't think Marlon Vera takes him out. I think uh Davy Grant's tough enough to make a decision. So give me Marlon Vera by decision. That brings us to the co main event, a heavyweight scrap between Alexei Olenek and Sergei Spivak. Olenek, the forty three year old Russian, is 
59, 15, and 1 over the course of his incredibly prolific career. He is 8 and 6 in the UFC. Uh, he's currently on a two-fight losing streak, a, a second-round knockout at the hands of Derek Lewis last August in the headliner of UFC Fight Night 174, and then a first-round knockout to uh, Chris Dawkins this February at UFC Fight Night Blades versus Lewis. He'll be taking on Spivak. The 26-year-old Moldovan is 12-2 and overall. He's 3-2 and in the UFC. Uh, he's on a two-fight win streak over Carlos Felipe, whom he defeated last August at UFC Fight Night, Figueredo versus Benavidez 2. And then a second-round knockout of Jared Vandera at uh, UFC Fight Night Blades versus Lewis in February. Spivak is a comfortable favorite here. He's minus 225 or so. You can get Olenek at plus 180 or plus 185 as the underdog. Uh, I spent some time last night and today talking to Sherdog associate editor and all-around stats genius Jay Petri, and we brainstormed it, and we're pretty sure that the 16-year and five-month age difference between Olenek and Spivak is it's not in the top three or four, but it's definitely in the top 10 greatest age disparities in a UFC fight in uh, at least the modern era. You know, no, no Ron Van Cleef, you know, fighting uh, Hoist Gracie or, or anything, but of the modern era, when you're, you're thinking of the greatest age disparities, 16 years and five months, I mean, biologically, at least old enough to be his dad. It's one of the bigger ones, man. So Alexi Olenek, I don't know if he watched UFC 263 last week, but if he did, I, I hope it didn't leave him uh, with any thoughts about the future of a 43-year-old one-dimensional grappler in today's UFC, uh, you know, watching Damian Maya. Obviously, it, it's apples versus oranges. Damian Maya hasn't been able to buy a takedown, much less a submission against a top contender in several years where... Derek Lewis might be your UFC heavyweight champ by the end of this year, and Olenek had him in all kinds of trouble less than a year ago. That's the difference at heavyweight. The other difference at heavyweight is the people swinging back at him are a whole different breed. I mean, except for the uh, Gilbert Burns fight, Maya, it's mostly just been really frustrating decisions where he has no other ideas than to shoot a single, you know, 20 times. Whereas Olenek's been getting knocked out really badly. Uh, the crazy thing about Olenek coming into the UFC, I mean, other than the fact that he came to the UFC so late in his career and has made such kind of a cool run is that he's never been a plus athlete. He's never been a great striker, but he was amazing at not getting hit hard for most of his career. That's gone. I mean, he's had four knockout losses in his last six fights. All of them were brutal beatdowns. The Walt Harris one just left him out cold, bent back over his own like busted leg, like Mirko Krokop. Like, I don't know if the UFC will cut Olenek if he loses. You know, it would be his third straight. It would be five of seven. But whether they do or not, I hope, I mean, I kind of hope he's thinking about his future outside the sport and what kind of quality of life he's going to have. Uh, there, that's the end of my editorializing. Having said that, this is not the kind of matchup the UFC would have made five or six years ago. It used to be winners fight winners, losers fight losers. Here we have a 43-year-old man on a two-fight losing streak against a 26-year-old on a two-fight winning streak who is clearly kind of starting to put his tools together, you know, and get ready to, to move into contention. This is feeding the old lions to the, to the new. Just the question is, Spivak's last two wins over Carlos Felipe and Jared Vanderaa won the Felipe fight. I 
I'm not sure whether I scored it against him, but at the end of the fight, I was like, it doesn't feel like he won this fight. And then Jared Vanderop, the the jury's out on whether he's really UFC material long term. Olenek will be by far, I think, uh, by yeah, by far the best fighter that uh, that Spivak has, has fought. But the way Spivak has lost fights in the UFC, they're not things that Alexi Olenek is going to do to him. Marcin Tybura bullied him with just by being bigger and a better wrestler. Walt Harris knocked the stuffing out of him in like a minute. Those are not things Alexi Olenek's going to do. Like, and I feel like I said this about Muhammad versus Maya last week, but unless Spivak like blunders into a standing Ezekiel choke or just blunders into a bad punch, because yeah, Olenek surprising pop on, on his punches. He can still hurt people. I mean, Unless he does something dumb, I think this is his fight to win. I just, you know, give me Spivak. And if it were a year or two ago, I'd say, yeah, Olenek's not going to get knocked out. Just give me Spivak by decision. I don't believe that anymore. I, I think Olenek is in the last stages here. I think his chin is pretty much gone. He was never a plus athlete by heavyweight standards, but he's slowed down even by those standards. It won't be much fun because Olenek's been a really fun story, but give me Sergey Spivak by first round knockout. Yeah, I, I totally understand your take on this one. So Alexia Linick is just he's just such a likable guy. I I just I just pitch him as like a just a good dad. And and like I just love the, the narrative of that. Like I, I just I just want him like like tomorrow in training, like don't go to American Top Team and grapple. Like I just pitch, I just picture him like that not being his day. His day being he's changing a tire for his daughter and that's his training. It's always getting his grip strength by cranking up the, the, uh, you know, the tire and, and then he's helping his buddy move a refrigerator. And like, like, like I just, that's, I just let a picture of him training, um, on the feet. I, I actually think he's a better, sh- no, no, the chin, the whole thing you were saying about the chin and the years of damage and, you know, Derek Lewis knocking him out and Chris Dawkins and Walt Harris. Yeah completely you know worrisome i mean he's 44 years old he's also russian so is he even 44 i mean like it wouldn't shock me if we, they find a birth certificate and it says he's 54 you know what i mean uh, i mean we don't even know he's he's been in the he's got like a hundred fights or whatever yeah i know it's not that high but it's yeah. something stupid like that i mean it is that high like he's he's got like a hundred fights yeah, mm-hmm. he's got he got this is his seventy seventh fight officially, 70th. but I literally added a fight from like the early two thousands to his record within the last year or two. Like we're still finding fights he had in like two thousand one. Yeah, if like if if lost tapes came out from nineteen ninety nine in somewhere in Serbia, and he had thirty fights from ninety eight to ninety nine, you know, like but that wouldn't shock me <laughs> at, at all. Um, so, but you know, I'm obviously I'm worried about the years, the damage. But technically, on the feet, like it's very unorthodox. He's a very wild style, but it's very it's it's somewhat effective. Like he lands more than I think he gets credit, and that has to do. I think that has to do with his opponent. So worried about you know him taking you down. Worried about him actually grabbing you. Um, he he has a lot of flaws. I mean, he avoids strikes like he just leans one way. He like he leans his head on one side and throws. Punches on the other side. Just how like, it's how Harris killed him. Yeah, but but like, uh, yeah, he gets knocked out. But 
it's somewhat effective when it's working. You know, like obviously it's effective when it's working, but like he's he's landed a lot more. Uh, he's 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 an incredible rapper. I mean, he he gets he's got good body lock takedowns. Um, I, 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 I wrote down here that I was surprised he was taken down by Derek Lewis. Um, at one point he was reversed by Derek Lewis, which was surprising. But I mean, he's a submission. He's got 46 submissions on his record. Uh, and that's like, again, what we know he has. Uh, he has the Ezekiel choke. I mean, that's, that's his move. He also has scarf chokes. He's, he's hard to submit himself. If you, if you initiate a rap, I mean, he, he grappled with Fabrizio Verdum. And avoided submissions for Vrisi Verdum, so that tells you everything you need to know about him. Now move over to Sergey Spivak, uh, very unathletic, flat-footed guy, but um, not too bad technically. And I've seen in technical improvements recently. I mean, he jabbed up Carlos Felipe in that fight. He throws straight punches down the pipe. He will throw in some kicks. Um, he he has a problem of pillaring, like we were talking about Bruno Silva. Like he just and I, I don't, I'm not against pillaring, and I mean it's been effective in boxing for hundred years, but as effective in MMA because in boxing you can pillar, but you don't get kicked in the leg when you do that. You don't get need up the middle. You like, there's, there's a lot more. Obviously, that's why I don't think pillaring is as, as effective. Uh, but he's got good deep. You know, good takedown of his own, solid entries. He loves the single leg. Will just grind against the fence if he can't get a takedown. Uh, he likes lateral drops in close quarters, uh, which you've heard me speak about lateral drops. That's one thing I hate and, and solid grind and pound. So I'm not nearly as confident as you are because because it's Olenek. Because you go chest to chest him, and suddenly he's doing a you know standing Ezekiel choke, or like all he needs is is you know one minute of grappling or one moment of grappling, and he can finish the fight. But give me the guy who's twenty six. Like I feel the same way. I don't trust. You know, not even the not even the knockouts, not even the ones that put out him, but it's the ones before it. Just his reactions when he gets hit. Like this is a guy that. Was never a speed guy. Is really, really slowed down. I don't like the betting line on this. I don't think Sergey Spivak should be a two to one favorite over anybody. <laughs> you know, other than maybe Rookie Martinez. Like he should not be a massive favorite, especially someone like Olenek who can, you know, finish the fight in such short notice. But yeah, I'll take the younger fighter. Give me Spivak. And you know, what I was thinking about. Is you said we talked about, you know, we don't know how many wins he has, we don't know how many submissions he has. we don't even know what his name is. Like, I've seen his name spelled like 35 different ways. Oh, yeah, we, I mean, his name is spelled a bunch of different ways. In fact, both guys in this fight, we spell their name a different way than the UFC does, but yeah, we yeah. follow their own social media. We, no, it, it totally is. We don't, I mean, we may not how not know how old he is, we may not know how many fights he has. I mean, there, there's even some confusion about where he's from. I mean, he's from the Ukraine, but, you know, he's lived in L.A. for like the last 20 years, but he has Russian citizenship now. Yeah. I mean, maybe he's Jason Bourne. Yeah, I love I love that a guy, he's he's been fighting in MMA for like, what, 22 years, you know, since mm-hmm. his pro. And we don't have it. We have it locked down and official. Like, yes, I understand his face, uh, his social media has one way. But, I mean, the, the amount of combinations I've seen of this guy's name is it and I actually when I write down his name, I like I change it up every time. Like it's it's yeah, yeah I never know what I'm gonna write. 
How do you have uh, Spivak winning this one, by the way? Just officially? Uh, I, I'll take, you know what? If you're going to take Spivak at this point, you're going to have to take him by stoppage. I, I'll say he I'll say he knocks out. Yeah, I'm going to say he, it's going to get ugly, and I say he knocks out Olenek in the second round. Okay, and let me uh, issue one retraction. I said during my breakdown that I thought uh, Spivak's win over Carlos Felipe was close or questionable. I don't know what I was thinking about, but I was thinking about another fight because he, he walloped Felipe. Anyway, just that, you know, to stave off the comment section, like coming at me about that one, because, yeah, he, he definitely uh, beat up Carlos Felipe. With that, we arrive at the main event. It is five rounds of scheduled featherweight action between Chan Sung Jung and Dan Ige. Jung, the 34-year-old Korean, is 16-6 and six overall. He is 6-3 and three in the UFC. Uh, fought most recently last October in the headliner of UFC Fight Night 180, where he dropped a unanimous decision to Brian Ortega. That snapped a two-fight winning streak over Hanato Moicano and Frankie Edgar, both of whom he knocked out in less than one round of combined cage time. Uh, he'll be taking on Ige, the man who goes by 50K, maybe 75K if the UFC changes its bonus structure permanently. A 29-year-old Hawaiian fighting out of Las Vegas. He is 15-3 and three overall. He is 7-2 and two in the UFC. Uh, most recently, he fought in March at UFC Fight Night Edwards versus Muhammad, knocking out Gavin Tucker with a hellacious punch in like 20 seconds. That got him back uh, on track after his uh, bruising unanimous decision loss to Calvin Cater in the headliner of US, uh, UFC on ESPN 13 last July. Odds on this one, uh, they've been hovering around to pick them all week. Right now, you can get both guys right around minus 110. So, uh, Vegas undecided on this one. Keith Schillen, are you decided on this one? Well, well, I mean, we're making a prediction show, so I, I better make a decision. Uh, this is this is a good fight. It's just a plain old good fight. Like I don't know if it's the most you know marketable fight. Chancellor John kind of loses a little little hype in his. You know, after losing to Ortega, Danny Gay looked fantastic in the last fight. But, you know, when we saw him in the main event against Calvin Cater, he came up short. So, um, but there's a lot of stakes in the sense that, like, who's going to stay relevant in such a deep division? Um, and I, and I'm really intrigued on the Exynos. And to me, it's going to tell you what's left of of Chance Sung Jung. Was that just a great performance of Brian Ortega or Chance Sung Jung done? Is Dan, and this is Danny Gay's chance to show that he's elite talent. You know, he's he's had an opportunity, he failed. If he loses this one, he's probably not getting, you know, it's unlikely that he's going to work himself back up to a chance to kind of get over that hump. So, th- so I'm very intrigued at what's going to happen. And and Chan Sung Jung looks so flat in his last fight against Brian Ortega. Um, he usually has really good boxing. His pull right hand is an absolute thing of beauty. Um he 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 has a lot of good hand fighting. He he distracts with the hand fighting to get range, to get distance, but also to um, set up his powerful right hand. He has he's got real big power. I mean, he puts out so many guys with his power, and that's because he really steps into his punches. He when he gets the opening, he steps in, unloads it. Um, he was dropping his hands against Brian Ortega a lot more than I've ever seen it before. And I'm assuming that was because 
you know, the lead up to that fight was striker versus grappler. Brian Ortega's a grappler. Brian Ortega's historically, he's one of the greatest greatest grapplers in MMA. He's 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 definitely one of the biggest submission threats. Like he he just needs one open and he and he locks on a you know guillotine or rennish or whatever it is. So I'm assuming he was dropping his hands and he was hanging them low because he was worried about the takedowns. And I kind of assume that's might be why Brian Ortega was landing a lot more than we expected. And then once he started landing more, he started hurting him more. And then, you know, the gap widens. So if they rematch each other, I expect it, I expect uh, the Koreans army to look better. Um, he also was way too patient against Ortega. Like he, I don't know if that was because he didn't want to load up. He didn't want to really throw a big shot and have Ortega drop underneath it. But he was his output wasn't nearly where it needs to be. So... Everything I said negative about him, just flip that. Because this is usually things we see. We usually see good output. We usually see good clean boxing. We usually see power. Um, he's a good he's a good grappler. Now, he's not Brian Ortega, but he's a good grappler. Um, we, we hardly ever see him offensive grapple. But he's got eight sufficient wins in his career. Sure, the, the last one was way back in 2012. And that goes back to what I say. We hardly ever see him do it. But it's there. I'm assuming it's still there. He has strong takedown defense, and he's got a good get-up team. I mean, Brian Ortega took him down, and he was able to work back to his feet. Very few people could say that Brian Ortega takes you down. Um, but he took a lot of damage in that in that fight, and that happens. I think they said this is his, I think it's eighth straight main event. Like That's going to happen. I mean, think about the Yair Rodriguez. It's another fight that he took tons of damages. Um, so, th- so that's worrisome. And, and, and let's not forget that he lost probably a couple of his prime years due to his military service. So, you know, you wonder if, you know, this might be the decline. Now, Dan Ige, very aggressive. That's I mean, insane output. That's the guy. If you're not the greatest, he's a perfect example. If you're not the greatest athlete, then then work harder than everybody. Like, I, I, I've never seen Dan Ige work, but just the way he fights, you just assume this guy is just crushing it in the gym like we've like you know he's getting the club of hardest workers uh he can take tons of damage and he just keeps marching forward he's a compact striker it's a very tight kind of like a, he's a i'm gonna say he's a great wrestler but yeah actually i'd say he is a pretty wrestler but he's a wrestle boxer like he's it's tight it's that classic you know frank yeager chad mendes hands up comp stay compact he throws heat too i mean we saw that in the last fight he just whips punches he constantly throws combination. I love he has this he has this one combo that he he loves a lot. It's his straight right hand to a left hook. So it's you know it's it, you're changing up what's at, it's coming straight and it's coming around. So it's kind of it, it, the good thing about that combination is that you get two different speeds to that. Obviously the straight punch goes a little faster than the one around. So it's just it's you know different sides, different speeds, different. Uh, you know what's thrown. It's a really good combination. It's got good power as I ju- as I already said. But he's also a guy who's taken a lot of damage. Go back to that Calvin Cater fight. Go back to Edson Barboza. Even the win against Edson Barboza, he took a lot of damage. Um, he he's a guy that he's he's, just, he's a little bit of a junkyard dog. Like he he he'll get in a clinch and he just works there. Hard knees. Um, I love that he, he like he throws a flying knee just to close distance. He's, he's a wild man, uh, but he can wrestle. Nice timing on his entries. I think he's a good grappler. He's good at winning scrambles. He's got good top control, good ground and pound. Um, he has a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. But the thing about him more 
and he reminds me of Bala Muhammad. Not necessarily how they how they fight, but when we talk about Bala Muhammad, we talk about a guy that has reached everything he has in his athleticism, everything he has in his skill, and then he just beats you by being smarter. He's a guy that has a game plan and he sticks to it. And I feel the same way about Dan Agee. I feel like the skill set from Dan Agee, we've seen the very ceiling of it. And, and and he fights at that very ceiling. And and obviously with athleticism, like this is the peak where he is. And but then if he can have the right game plan, that's when he beats you. You know, it's like uh, going basketball, they always say like John Stockton was like not a great athlete, not the you know, I mean he was a skinny white guy playing point guard. But he was such such knowledge. That's why I feel when Danny Gay, like he just looks like a student of the game, and he's gonna give himself. He might not always get over the hump, but he's gonna put himself at having the best chance. Like he's gonna give himself the best chance of winning. You know. So as far as my prediction goes, I'm really torn. Like I'm really really torn. When this fight was first announced, I felt very confident in taking the Korean Zombie. I don't feel that way anymore. Like I'm actually starting to feel like talk myself into Danny Gay. I'm gonna go with the Korean Zombie because I think he has the better boxing. I think um, Danny Gay is going to put him. You know, oh man, I really want to talk myself into Danny Gay. Is 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 that's how tone I am? It's it's not. A, a, I just the, he's more technically sound. The Korean Zombie is more technically sound. He definitely hits harder. Um, I think he could stuff takedowns or at least make Danny Gay work. But it's going to be a close affair. Danny Gay is going to make it close. Um, but just give me the guy that's just more skilled. So I will take the Korean Zombie. I think Danny Gay is such a, such a dirt dog. It's, I think it's going to go all five rounds. I think it's going to be a absolute war. I think this is going to be a bloody mess. I think both guys, um, I think we're going to have lots of moments where guys are landing big shots. And to me, this is my no-brainer. Even though he looked so bad in his last fight, he looked flat. I don't think that's going to happen against Danny Gay. But this is my no-brainer fight of the night pick in the main event. I know that's a cop-out, but sometimes you just got to go with the main event. And uh, give me the Korean Zombie by decision. Beautiful. Man, what an interesting fight this is in terms of what's at stake for both guys. Uh, Korean Zombie absolutely has something to prove. I mean, the way he looked in the Ortega fight, just knowing, okay, you're 34, you've been in some wars, you've been in all the wars, and then you came out and just kind of looked flat and out of sorts. Like, this fight against Ige will determine how we look at the Ortega fight, whether that was an aberration or it was the beginning of the end. That's a great point. Like, right now, Chan Sung Jung, he has three losses in the UFC. Jose Aldo in a title fight, Brian Ortega in a title eliminator, and Yair Rodriguez via an all-time buzzer beater in the literal last second of a fight of the year candidate, you know, of a fight that he was winning. And even there, I mean, Rodriguez has kind of had a weird track since then but Rodriguez was like on the cusp of a title shot as well like he he has literally only lost to the very very best of the best if he loses to Dan Ige tonight that says a ton and that's nothing against Dan Ige because the flip side of this I have a little bit of inside knowledge just because I've interviewed Dan Ige four times now three times over the phone once in person and it's just because when I first started interviewing fighters uh sure dog was uh at the time, you know, had a pretty good relationship with Ali Abdelaziz and the two guys that were basically his 
uh, secretaries, like arranging all those interviews were Danny Gay and Puna Soriano, who of course now is in the UFC as well. And finally, after an interview, I'm like, dude, I want to talk to you. You fought last week. You had a great fight. Like, can, you know, can we talk for a while? And that was the first of several interviews. Extremely intelligent guy, student of the game. You know, you think of all the Hawaiian stereotypes and you see a lot of them in the cage. I mean, he is a just scrap brawler type guy, but there's intelligence behind it. You know, his ambitions, even though he's been an extreme couture guy forever. You know, I know that COVID has forced a ton of fighters into Las Vegas gyms. He's been there forever, but his ambitions after the sport involve going back and opening gyms in Hawaii just because, you know, the infrastructure of MMA there has just gotten so bad. Like, he's, he's a great dude. Having said that, his fight against Cater was concerning. You pointed out that he just has this incredible guts and dig deepness, and he's got his game plan, and he's going to stick to it. That was actually problematic against Cater because Cater was just, he was a little too long. He was a little crisper boxer, had a little more power, like just a little more natural power in each shot, not saying that Ige can't wind up and hit hard as hard as anybody. And when that became obvious, Ige didn't really have anything else to turn to. You know, I, he just kind of got bruised up by a better boxer for, you know, five full rounds. It proved he was tough, but that wasn't a fight he could win by digging deeper. Like he needed to do something different. I just, I never really saw it out of him. It's interesting that after that, he had one bounce back fight and he is right back in a main event. And it's against a guy that's ranked even higher and has an even bigger name. Like this is a huge opportunity for Ige. And I just wonder if it's still just going to be a step too far. Uh, I, I love that you pointed out the thing that uh, Korean Zombie hasn't had a submission since 2012. That just reminded me, man, remember when Chan Sung Joon just completely whooped Dustin Poirier? Because, yeah, he tapped out Dustin Poirier, but that was after winning the first three rounds against him. Like, he put it on one of probably the five top pound-for-pound -pound fighters in the sport right now. Man, how, how times have changed. How good has it been for uh, Poirier to move up to, to lightweight? Anyway, anyway, don't want to get sent down that track. I don't know if Jung is going to knock out Ige. Certainly, if the Jung that showed up against Ortega shows up, it's anybody's fight. All bets are off. Like I said, this is the fight that's going to tell us whether that was an aberration or a sign of the times. It's an unknown, but I'm guessing that it's an aberration and that the zombie has a few more uh, great performances left in him. If that zombie shows up, he beats Danny game. Give me uh, Chan Sung Jung by, I think this makes it to the championship rounds, but I'm going to say he knocks him out in round four, just an accumulation of damage. Yeah, you made a great point that I want to I want to harp on. You talked about that the implications this has. Think about the amount of people that will change their opinion on the featherweight title based on this fight. If if the Korean Zombie looks great, a lot more people are going to be like, "Wow, how great was Brian Ortega?" And then they're picking him to beat Volkanovski. But the flip side. If Danny Higay goes out there and, and, and you know, 50 45s of them or, you know, something like that, mm -hmm. suddenly, oh, that Brian Ortega fight, he didn't, oh, it's not that impressive. Zombie's done. And now more people are like picking Volkanovski. So it's funny how they, they these two fights impact each other, um, all based on one guy's, you know, performance. And, I mean, if Dan Higay knocked out Gavin Tucker in 22 seconds and then just completely whoops Korean Zombie. 
Like everybody's like, man, we should give Calvin Cater another shot at like a really big fight. Like, <laughs> yeah, it, it's a bunch he, of moving parts, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Exa- exactly. We start talking about how great Calvin Cater was, who who also just got murdered in one of the statistically the worst beatdown in history by Max Holloway. Suddenly we start asking, damn it. Is Volkanovski really two and zero against Max Holloway? I mean, shouldn't he get another shot? He's, he's. I mean, I mean, he won the second one. You know, what? You know, I'm not saying he did, but I'm just saying yeah, but what people, people would say. Do. Well, we're gonna have a lot to and talk I'm about on the recap. The yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited for this fight. I'm excited for most of this card, uh, and yeah, like I think we're gonna have plenty to talk about on the recap. Speaking of which. For all of you there at home, this has been the SureDog Radio Network preview for UFC on ESPN 25, also known as UFC Vegas 29. For Keith Schillen, I'm Ben Duffy. Enjoy your week. Enjoy the fights. And make sure to tune in uh, Saturday night or perhaps Sunday morning right after the main event, either through the SureDog front page or the SureDog.com YouTube page, where we will be recapping all 12 of these fights live. The comment section there, the live chat is always open. We're there to take your questions, there to take your comments, comment on your hot takes. If we picked anything wrong, if we picked your boy wrong or your girl, come let us have it. We, we are, uh, we're there for your amusement. Thank you very much for listening and good night. <laughs>